if you're here and excited to learn from God's Word, hold your Bible in the air, your cell phone for some, and uh, shout, this is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, I will learn from God's Word and my life will never be the same because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Man, this is awesome. Still talking about the wiry free life. Amen. And I just want to say uh, with the additional service, there is going to be a lot more work. So if you will, uh, please pray with us uh, for God to give us more people to serve. Amen. And if you are not serving, please just pray about uh, starting to serve. Church is not a cruise ship where you come to be served. Church is a battleship. All hands on deck. Amen. This is warfare. Hallelujah. So let's make sure we uh, are all pulling our weight and just get going. We're still talking about the um, worry-free life. And uh, from today uh, uh, all the way to when we finish, I'm going to be giving you eight antidotes to worry. Or eight remedies to worry. Or eight things you can do to counter worry when it attacks. Amen? So let's go back to Matthew chapter number 6 from verse 24. Matthew chapter number 6 verse 24. In the King James Bible. Matthew 6 from 24 to 34. If you have it, you can say I have it. Here's what it says. No man can serve two masters. For you will either hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot, someone say cannot. Notice it didn't say it's a difficult thing or it's a hard thing, or you're going to have to try so hard. He says you cannot, it's impossible. There is no way you can do this. What can you not do? You cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon is just an old English word for money. So scripture is saying you cannot serve God, both God and money. You can have both God and money, but you're going to have to serve one of them. Amen. And then he goes on to say, after he's made this point, he goes to verse 25 and he says, Therefore, once you've caught the revelation of service, once you've caught the revelation of understanding that the only deity you should serve how many of you know that money is actually a deity? Money is a God to some. But once you've made that decision and you have settled it in your mind, he says, therefore, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought. That word thought again in the Greek is the Greek word uh, merimano, which simply means anxious thought. So he's saying, take no anxious thought for your life. This is Jesus speaking. Amen? It says, don't do it. Take no anxious thought for your life, what you shall eat. So do not take an anxious thought about what you are going to eat or food. So in other words, he's not saying don't plan, don't think about it. He's saying don't think about it anxiously. Can you tell the difference? He says, 
what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Next verse. Behold the fowls of the air, or the birds, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Next verse. Which of you, by taking an anxious thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Man, I used to play basketball, and I used to want to be a little taller. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a ball. I wish I was Gigi. I don't remember the rest of the words. But I wished I was taller. And Jesus is saying, okay, for all of you who wished you were taller, which of you, by worrying, can grow a little taller? Or in other words, does worry actually add value to your life? Next verse. And why take ye anxious thoughts for clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, or therefore, or you can put an equal sign. Says, therefore, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? <laughs> so he's saying, man, God takes his time to clothe, to, to clothe the grass and make it look beautiful. But grass, I mean, has no uh, a lifespan as long as yours and mine. But yet God takes his time on the grass. And he says, how much more will he take his time with you? Next verse. Man, this is good stuff. Therefore, take no thought. I mean, how many times has he said it so far? He keeps saying it. And he's just not saying it to waste words. He's saying it because he wants to emphasize a point. Take no anxious thought. He says it again. Take no anxious thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? Next verse. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, or the unbelievers. For you, your heavenly Father, knows that you have need of all these things. So what should I do, Jesus? If I don't take any anxious thought, what should I do? He tells you in verse 33. Watch what he says. But seek ye what? I didn't hear that. Come on, preach with me. Second. Third, no, he says, seek ye first. See, with the kingdom of God, it's never urgent things first. It's always first things first. And the first thing you should seek or you should prioritize is the kingdom of God. He says, seek ye first. Instead of worrying, here's what you should replace worry with. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Give it to me in the Amplified, if you will. Verse 33 in the Amplified. Watch what it says. It says, but seek, aim at, and strive after first all of His kingdom. That word kingdom simply means the king and His domain. And the church is the uh, physical manifestation of the kingdom of God. 
Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. What is his righteousness? He puts it in, uh, in brackets there. His way of doing things. That's God's righteousness. You should seek God's way of doing things. Watch this. Concerning your finances. You should seek God's way of doing things. Watch this. Concerning your marriage. You should seek God's way of doing things concerning dealing with circumstances. And we found out last week that concerning dealing with circumstances, God says to, for us to guard our hearts. He says for you and me to guard our hearts with how many? All diligence because out of it will flow the issues of life. The only thing you should be guarding is your heart and not your finances. You will not find a scripture that says guard your investments. You know why? Because God wants to do the guarding for you. He says he wants to rebuke the devourer for you. You will never see a scripture where God tells you to guard your children, guard your family, guard your investments. I mean, I would want to, I would love to, but I have no capacity. So you know what I do? I let him guard that. The only thing I'm asked to guard is my heart. And I'll guard my heart. With how much? With all diligence. Because out of that heart will flow the issues of life. What else does it tell me about my heart? In John 14, he says, For you to let not your heart be troubled. He didn't say problems are not coming. He says, but while problems are coming, you should not let your heart be troubled. But you should abide in him. He says it this way in uh, John 14 verse 27. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And you, if you abide in me, then you will produce much fruit. And he goes on to say, let not your hearts be troubled. Amen. So all we have to do is to abide in him and not let our hearts be troubled. That's the kingdom way of doing things. Amen. Let's go to uh, John chapter number 14, verse 27. Man, worry is dangerous. In fact, we were at live group and uh, we were dealing with uh, worry and someone who is a professional in the field, uh, the medical field, told us that, you know, worry will develop into anxiety, which will further develop into uh, a condition. <laughs> That is called uh, uh, hyper-anxiety or something. Which will further develop into a sickness. You know autoimmune diseases? It's your own body fighting against you. And autoimmune diseases are caused by stress. Even your body rejects worry by fighting against itself. Human beings were never meant to live a life of anxiety. Amen. John chapter number 14, verse 27. Watch what he says. I'm going to read in the King James Bible. And we'll go and read in the Amplified. He says, peace. Someone say peace. That word peace is the Greek word shalom. It is the Greek word that means salvation. It is the Greek word that means uh, prosperity. I think it was Sister Valesa when she was praying. She quoted a scripture that translated the same word uh, peace to prosperity. It's the same word. So Jesus says, peace, I have I live with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives. See, God's peace is different from the peace that you get from the world. The peace that you get from the world is based on circumstances. You know, you have to have paid all your bills. 
You and your wife have to be in unison. I mean, things have to be perfect for you to have peace. According to the world system. You have to have lots of money in your account, right? But Jesus says, no. The, the peace that I give unto you is not as the world gives. It is the one I give. What is that peace? It is the peace that is based on God. And God is consistent and constant. And this peace is consistent and constant as well. Someone shout, I take the peace of Jesus over the peace that the world gives any day. Watch what else he says. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, every time you see the word let, L-E-T, Jesus, or whoever is writing, is trying to tell you that you have the authority to let it or not let it. It is like a tap, you know, a, a, a water tap. You know, the water is already there, but you have the authority to let the water come out or stop it from flowing. And when God says, you do not let your heart be troubled, it means you have the authority to either let your heart be troubled or not let it be troubled. Regardless, if I was back home, I would say, irregardless. It's not even a word, but the politicians use it, amen? <laughs> irregardless of what is going on around you. Let me show you an example. Let me show you an example. Mark chapter number 4, verse 35. Mark chapter number 4, verse 35 to 40. Please give it to me in the message Bible. It's much more fun. So the first thing you are to do is to seek first the kingdom of God. Whenever trouble comes, check to see if the kingdom of God is still a priority in your life. Because if the kingdom of God is still a priority in your life, it, it works like a boomerang. While you're taking care and focused on God's business, God is taking care and focused on your business. And when you focus and take care of your business, you keep God out. Hallelujah! Mark chapter number 4, verse 35. In the message, watch what it says. Late that day, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Next verse. They took him in the boat as he was. Other boats came along. A huge storm. A what? A huge storm. Now, this is a huge storm. Came up. Waves poured into the boat. Now, this wasn't a ship. It was a boat. A boat is just an open uh, a vessel. Amen? So, water can literally come in. I mean, if it's raining, you're going to get rained on. So, here's what happened. Water poured into the boat, threatening to sink it. Next verse. And Jesus was... In the stand, head on the pillow, doing what? Are you kidding me? And Jesus was sleeping in the midst of a storm. This is the peace that he was talking about. Not as the world gives it. This is the peace he was talking about. This is the peace that is based on, on, on the prophetic words that you were given. That as long as I haven't gone to the cross and died for the world, this thing is not going to be over with. So I might as well sleep. Because guess what? I have not fulfilled my assignment. 
This is the peace. This is the peace that you can have if you know that there is a sure word of prophecy in Psalm 91 that says God will give you life until you are fully satisfied so there is no need to panic. Because I'm going to be still here. Whether there is a storm, a fire, or a hailstorm, I am going to still be here. Because there is a sure word of prophecy that has not been fulfilled. Someone shout amen. Amen. That's what Jesus knew. As long as the cross hasn't happened, it does not matter. Even if it rains for 40 years, I'm still going to be here. Because I have an assignment to fulfill. So he was sleeping. Stern sleeping. On a pillow, Baba. I mean, that's crazy. Watch what they say. They aroused him saying, Teacher, is it nothing to you that we are going down? Next verse. Awake now. He told the wind to pipe down. Man, this is awesome. Jesus just got up and said, Pipe down. (laughs) Two words. He told it to pipe down and say to the sea, Quiet, settle down. Three words. A three-word prayer in the midst of a storm. You know why? Because he understood his faith, his authority, and the power of words. I mean, some of us, when we are in a storm, ah, the prayers are just too long. (laughs) Father God, have you seen what the doctor sleep said? They said, I'm actually going to die next week. Father, Father, can't you hear me, Lord? No, three words. Quiet, settle down. The wind ran out of breath. The sea became smooth as glass. Next verse. This is where it says, Jesus reprimanded the disciples. Wait a minute. I mean, you'd expect Jesus to wake up and say, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so sorry I fell asleep and the storm came. Oh, I'm so sorry you were about. Oh, man, I'm so sorry I overslept. No, Jesus came and reprimanded them. What did he say to them? Why are you such what? Come on, read it with me. Why are you such what? Can you imagine? I mean, this guy was sleeping. And we were about to die. And he wakes up and says, Why are you such cowards? You know why? Because this kingdom thing is not for cowards. That's why if you read scriptures, there's scriptures that say, fight the good fight of faith. Scripture says, we wrestle. Wrestling, Baba. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a wrestling match. Scripture talks about casting down imagination. It says the weapons of our warfare, warfare. Warfare. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Weapons of warfare. This thing is a warfare and it is not for cowards. I mean, most of us would have expected Jesus to say, Oh, it's okay, guys. It's okay to cry a little. When you are going through what you are going through. It's okay. No, Jesus said, Why are you being such cowards? I mean, most of us wouldn't have lasted in Jesus' ministry. (laughs) Now, can you imagine going for counseling to Jesus and you're going through something? And Jesus says, why are you such a... Man, you're sitting in Pastor Jesus' office and he's on the other side of the desk and you're telling him how terrible it's been. I've just been fired from my job. 
I don't know where I'm going to get rent for this month. And then he says, why are you such a coward? Don't you have faith at all? I mean, this was Jesus. You know why? Because he knew he had given them a peace that is not dependent on what is going on around them. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians chapter number 3, verse 15, let the peace of God be an umpire over your soul. Let the peace of God, the one that comes directly from God, let it be a referee over your soul. Let it be the one that makes decisions. Can you imagine people playing sports, soccer, with bullies like those Manchester United boys, and there is no ref? It will be chaos, right? I mean, fake time will be like one hour, 20 minutes. In fact, we used to play soccer with guys like that. That would just bully you until they win. So as long as they are two nil down, you can't go home. So tell the man, I want to go home. He said, no, we have to play. Say, but my mom is calling me, no, chief, we have to play. We are going to play this game. Until they equalize and also win. But guess what? If there is a ref, the ref can come and say, hey, wait a minute. I'm going to rule this in the favor of whoever is winning. And the Bible says in Colossians 3 verse 15, let the peace of God be the umpire over your soul. In other words, let the peace of God make the final decision about all the chaos that is going on in your life. What does the peace of God have to say about you not being able to pay your bills? What does the peace of God have to say about you going through a storm? That is what should matter. Not what you're going through. Amen? In fact, let's read it. Colossians chapter number 3 verse 15. Colossians chapter number 3 verse 15. Watch what it says. Uh, give it to me in the King James. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Give it to me in the Amplified. And let the peace, soul, harmony, which comes from Christ, rule as an act, act as an umpire continually. In your hearts, doing what? Deciding and settling with finality. Man, this is good stuff. All the questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state to which as members of Christ, one body you were called to live and be thankful, appreciative, giving praise to God always. Man, this is good. Let the peace of God rule with finality. In other words, this issue is done, settled, and I'm not going to worry about it any longer. See, the problem is we pray for something. Say, Lord, I know it's hard. I know my back is in pain. And then we walk out of it after we've cast all that care on him, right? And then we walk out of it. And we haven't ruled it with finality. We walk out of it and we walk out with it. And still complain about your back. That's not how faith works. Amen? amen. I said amen. So the first thing you have to do is to seek first the kingdom of God. The second thing you have to do is to rest. Someone shout rest. In the promises of God. 
You are to rest in the promises of God. Let's go now to Hebrews chapter number 4 verse 11. This is a Bible study. You're going to read these scriptures. And they're all in the New Testament. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter number 4 verse 11. Watch what it says. It says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. I mean, this sounds like an oxymoron. I mean, let us labor to enter into the rest. You know why? Because you don't rest from work. When Christ is talking about the rest or the rest of God is not resting from work, it is resting while you are working. What does that mean? That means you, you, you trust that God's anointing on you will do the rest as you do the best that you can. So you rest in the fact that God is with you and that He is working through you and you rest in making those decisions. So rest does not mean to chill. Just hunch your neighbor and say, rest is not laziness. It says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Give it to me in the NIV, please. NIV. Watch what it says. Let us, therefore, make every what? Effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. What is he talking about? He's talking about the two different kinds of promises that you find in Scripture. And we've taught on this. The first one is called a promised promise. A promised promise is a promise that God gave you that does not need your cooperation to come to pass. In other words, when God said Jesus is coming back for the second time to judge the living and the dead, if you decide you don't believe it and you're not going to put your faith in it, it does not matter. He is still coming back to judge the living and the dead. In other words, he don't care what you do with it. Then the second kind of promise is what is called an offered promise. Now, this is a promise that God offered to you. For example, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The offered promise is when God offered salvation and it is up to you to accept or reject that salvation. So here's what he's talking about. He's saying make every effort to enter into the offered promises. Make every effort to enter into the grace of God. See, the offered promise has two uh, elements in it. The grace of God and the faith of the believer. Man, this is good teaching. I'm enjoying it myself. The grace of God uh, uh, creates all these great things. How many of you know that prosperity is a grace? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, uh, we know by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, He became poor so that you and I can become rich. It, it, prosperity is a grace, but the grace of God does not force itself on your life. Here is where most grace teachers make the mistake. They say God has done it all by grace. You don't have any part in it. That's not what the scriptures say. Go with me to Ephesians chapter number 2 verse 11. Ephesians chapter number 2 verse 11. Thank you, Jesus. Watch what it says. It says, uh, Wherefore, remember... Did I say Ephesians? 
chapter number 2, verse 8. 8. Watch what it says. For by grace are you saved through what? I didn't hear that. I did not hear that. Okay, give me Romans chapter number 1, 5, verse 1 and 2. So by grace you are saved through what? Faith. Romans chapter number 5 from verse 1 and 2. Come on, look up. Let's read together. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. By whom also we have what? I didn't hear that. Come on, read that word. Read that word like you're a preacher. By which we have access... By what? So what's the password for you to have access? Okay, you have access into his what? So grace alone does not give you access. Can you see it? Grace is on God's side of the ledger. Faith is on your side of the ledger. You have to apply your faith to have access into his grace. And if you don't apply, in fact, here's the simplest definition of faith. Faith is your positive response to God's grace. Here's an example of God applying grace and uh, the believer applying faith. God went to Elijah and he said, Elijah, I have already by grace ordered the ravens to heap up food for you at the brook Sherith. Now you go to the brook Sherith and eat that food. If Elijah had decided, hey, I don't want to go. I'm just going to chill here. And let your grace come and feed me here. In other words, I'm not going to respond to your instruction of grace by faith. Every instruction you get from God is a grace instruction. It is not meant to hurt you. It is meant to bless you. If he had decided, hey, I'm just going to chill here in the city. I don't like brooks. So I ain't going to the brook. I don't even like ravens. If he had decided to sit in the city, what would have happened? The food would have been heaping up. In other words, the blessing would have been heaping up, but he would have never had access to his blessing. You know why? Because he has not responded by taking steps of faith. How many of you know that faith is a walk? We always say we walk by and not by. Faith is an act. Faith is a following of God's instruction. Faith is not passive. The Apostle James said, hey, show me your faith without works and I'll show you a dead faith. In other words, if your faith does not have corresponding action, you will never have access into the grace of God. See, so prosperity is a grace, but you have to have faith actions to have access into the prosperity grace. Healing is a grace, but you have to have faith actions. Jesus said, hey, pick up your bed and walk. If he had decided, ah, no, me, I don't want to pick up my bed. And I don't want to walk. I mean, it's almost every person that Jesus healed, he gave a grace instruction. He said to the blind uh, 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 guys, he, he put uh, 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 spit and mud on their eyes. Go and wash in the river Siloam. I don't like mud and I don't like washing. I mean, that's most of us, right? Every grace comes with an instruction. 
I don't like mud and I don't like washing. So Jesus, I, I'm not going. Even when the man, uh, uh, Naaman, who had leprosy, went to see the prophet, the prophet gave him a grace instruction. Told him, go and act on this instruction. And it's always a simple instruction. Just fill up the pots with water. What did Jesus' mom tell them? He says, follow every grace instruction that this man gives you. Because it's not to hurt you, it is to bless you. If the man says, fill up the pots with water, what do you do? You fill up the pots with water. But here's the problem in the church. When the man says, fill up the uh, pots with water, over here we say, ah, 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 ah. Let the dog bark three times before 5 a.m. So that I know it is really you who wants me to fill up the pots with water. Show me a sign. Amen. What is faith? Faith is not complicated. Faith is reading a scripture and doing it. So what is a faith act in the area of worry and fear and anxiety? Just don't do it. What did he say in Philippians chapter number 4 verse 6? He says, be anxious for how many things? For nothing. But in prayer and supplication, make all your requests known unto God. And after you have done this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ. And he gives you another uh, grace instruction. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever thing is pure, whatsoever thing is lovely, whatsoever thing is of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praiseworthy, think on these things. In other words, focus on that thing. Because that is the thing that is going to produce peace in your life. Isaiah 26 verse 3, in the area of worry and anxiety, he says, keep your mind focused on God. He says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Why? Because he trusted in him. He didn't say keep your mind on your problems. He says keep your mind on him. And if you keep your mind on him, he will take care of your problems. Man, people that keep their minds on God always provoke God to take care of their problems. Remember Paul and Silas? They'd been beaten, stripped naked, thrown into prison. And at midnight they decided, hey, let's just sing praises to God and just, you know, focus our attention on God. I mean, they had every reason to focus their attention on what was going on. Baba, look at your wounds. Look at that one. Look at this one. This one is so painful. I think they broke my hand. They could have focused on their issues. But they decided, hey, we're just going to do what Isaiah 26 verse 3 says. Keep our minds focused on God. And the Bible says they started praising God and just, you know, having a good time in the Lord. And then while they were doing it, God started tapping his foot. You know, because God always joins in when you praise. And apparently he tapped the foot so hard there was an earthquake. And the thing started shaking. And the Bible says the, the, the prison doors were opened. All of the chains in their hands fell off. And you know what the guy said? He said, man, don't kill yourself. The uh, uh, guy who was taking care and looking after the jail, he was about to kill himself thinking they were about to escape. He said, hey, we are not going. Don't kill yourself. We are just here having fun and, you know, focusing on our father. This is an accidental breakthrough. Do you notice Paul and Silas' attitude when they were going through something? They didn't run to God and say, Father, Father, we bind this jail. We bind these chains. We break them in the name. 
Man, they're just saying, Father, we love you. We thank you. We just want to hang out with you. We just want to focus on you. And while they were focusing on God, God fixed it. It works like a boomerang. You keep your mind on God and your problems will take care of themselves. How many of you have ever solved your problems by thinking about them? Okay, I have this issue at work, so I'm going to take leave and stay at home and cry and think about just think about it <laughs> from 8 till 5 p.m. just think of, and I'm going to phone someone who encouraged me to think about it more <laughs> and just worry about it and worry and worry and worry and worry I think uh, it was a professional as well who was telling us that some people spend uh, 3,000 rand a month on uh, m uh, medication to take care of worry and anxiety. No wonder why Jesus had something to say about it. They have a prescription to go and buy every month 3,000 baba. Every month they go a prescription. Give me those tablets so I can take care of my worry. It's so simple. You want to take care of your worry? Go into scripture and find out what scripture says. It says keep your if you give me that 3,000 rand, I can get myself some Jordans. Every month, Baba, 12 pairs of Jordans per year. I can do something with it. Come on, what can you do with 3,000 every month? I mean, just take scripture and read Isaiah 26 verse 3. Don't worry. Keep your mind on God. How many of you have ever paid rent or school fees by worrying about it? I know it's January and people love to worry. You never accomplish anything by worrying about it. Amen? I said amen. amen. This is good stuff. This is heavy stuff. Let's go now to Romans chapter number 4, verse 16. So, grace and faith work together. Grace is God's signature on the check. And faith is your signature on the check. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 8, verse 17, we are joint heirs. What does that mean? That means both of us, you and God, have to put your signatures on an issue for it to come to pass. You have to bring your faith and God will bring his grace and together you can produce miracles, manifestations and all sorts. Amen? But God's signature alone is not going to produce. Hallelujah! We are joint heirs with Christ. And Christ is already signed on the check. All the check is waiting for is your signature, which says, I have faith in the finished work of Christ. Amen? Romans chapter number 4, verse 16. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 16, here's what it says. Therefore, it is of what? That it might be by what? Grace. I mean, everywhere in scripture, you're going to see faith and grace. God gives the grace, you respond by faith. It is of what? I didn't hear that. Come on. It is of what? Grace. That it might be by? Grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. I want to read this same scripture in the Amplified. 
Give it to me in the Amplified, uh, verse 16. Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of what? And depends entirely on what? In order that it might be given as an act of what? Unmerited favor. To make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants. Not only to the devotees and adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is thus the father of us all. Everywhere, you're going to see your faith is required to respond to God's grace. Next verse in the King James. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed. Even God who quickeneth the dead and cause those things which be not as though they were. I love it. God has never gone to anyone and said, I am getting ready to do something. You won't find it in scripture. He's never. When he went to the children of Israel, he said, Behold, the land I have given you. It's always past tense. You know why? Because the grace of God is always past tense. You won't see a scripture that says, By his tribes... You will be healed next week. It always says, by his stripes, we were healed. Amen. You won't won't find a scripture that says God is trying to bless you. In fact, Ephesians 1, the whole book of Ephesians is written in a past tense note. What did he say? Blessed the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. God's grace has already done it for you. All it requires is your response by faith. All you have to do is respond by faith. He says, I've already made you the father of many nations. I mean, the dude didn't even have a child. I've already made you the father of many nations. I don't even have a child, God. I have made thee the father of many nations. Next verse. Who against hope, believed in hope. In other words, who against natural hope, believed in supernatural hope. In the natural, it didn't make sense. You know why? Because Sarah was over 75 years old, and she had a dead womb, and Abraham had never had a child. I mean, in the natural, the doctors had said, this is not possible. And sometimes your banker will tell you, ah, chief... In the natural, you should file for bankruptcy. And if you put your hope in the natural, you're going to be limited to what the natural can produce. When my wife and I moved into uh, the house that we live in now, I mean, through all the process and stuff like that, and the, the, the lawyers' transfer fees and so on and so forth, we ran out of money. And we were thinking, hey, we're not even going to move into this house because we have no money to buy furniture. And then we didn't put our hope in the natural circumstances. So we didn't stop giving. We didn't stop doing, uh, giving tithes. We didn't stop serving the Lord. And because we put our hope in the supernatural, someone came and said, hey, I want to furnish your whole house. When we planted the church, started the church, Sister Amanda was reminding me yesterday, we used to collect money at the end of the service and pay for one service. And none of those services 
ever collected enough offering to be able to pay off our landlord. And if we put our natural hope in that, it was limiting. Yesterday, Pastor Trevor was giving us a report that we closed uh, our finances 10 times than we started last year. That's not natural. That's supernatural. And he's telling us in five years' time, we are looking to buy our own space. Now, if you did the math, it does not make sense, but we don't do the math. We put our hope in Christ and set our targets based on our faith. And it's so funny. It always happens. Because the check, God has already signed on it. It's waiting for my response to put my signature as well. Amen? I said amen. Who against all hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Next verse. And being not weak in what? See, you can't be weak in faith. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Can you see that? In other words, he didn't consider the natural circumstances. See, when you look at God's promise, consider not the natural circumstances. Is it true that he was old, 100 years old? Old man never had a child. Is it true that he had never had a child? Is it true that Sarah's womb was dead? He just didn't consider it. Sometimes it's true that you are broke. Just don't consider it and consider the promise. He didn't consider it. He didn't let that be his limiting factor. Man, people that don't consider natural circumstances achieve a lot. <laughs> I know presidents who don't consider that they didn't pass metric. I just don't consider it. Just don't consider it. I know CEOs that just don't consider all the natural circumstances. I know presidents who don't consider the polls. Just don't consider the poll. Keep saying I'm going to win. And they say, but the polls is against you. It has never happened that, you know, someone has ever won. I'm winning. Just don't consider the polls, amen? Just don't consider it. He just didn't consider it. Was it fact that there was a 12-point poll deficit? Yes, it's fact, but I ain't, I ain't considering it. See, sometimes Christians consider way too much. And we stop God's flow into our life. Jesus didn't consider all of the circumstances that some of us consider. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Next verse. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was what? I didn't hear that. I did not hear that. Come on, preach with me. He was strong in faith. He was strong in responding to God's grace instruction. He didn't stagger. He just responded. If God said, I'm going to be the father of many nations, I'm going to be the father of many nations. In fact, he went so far, he went to Omar Fez and changed his name. 
Because before this, his name was Abram. The man went to home affairs and said, said, they, said, what are you here for? I'm here to change my name. To what? To Abraham. Why? What does Abraham mean? It means father of many nations. Oh, man, you must have lots of children. He says, no, I don't. So why are you calling yourself father of many nations? Because God gave me the promise that I'm going to be the father of many nations. So I might as well change everything and line it up with God's promise. If God says I'm healed, I will change everything and line it up with God's promise that I am healed. This is how simple faith is. Just line your life up with God's promises. If he says he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, line your life up with that promise. If he says you are the head and not the tail, above only and never beneath, line your life up with that promise. And it will take care of the rest. Amen. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Next verse. And being what? Man, he was fully convinced. This is where the issue is. Are you fully persuaded? This is where the issue is. You have to be fully persuaded. You have to be fully persuaded that God wants you to prosper. You know, sometimes we pray as a church and we release a prophetic word and people feel like God wants us. Man, it has to get to a point where God wants me to prosper. I am God's favorite child. Me. Me. No, not someone in America and New York. No, me. Me. I am God's favorite child. The Bible says he's mindful of me. Me. When I read those scriptures, I don't think of anyone else. I'm thinking of me, Mina. Because this thing has to become personal. And I have to become fully persuaded. I am fully persuaded that God will supply all our needs as a ministry according to his riches and glory by Christ. I am fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. I am fully persuaded that I'm above only and never beneath. Man, if there's one person you'll never see struggling for self-esteem, it's me. You know why? Because I read somewhere in scripture that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Me. I don't know about you, but me. Me, I'm fully persuaded. Beyond persuasion. Notice it didn't say half persuasion. Fully persuaded that what he had promised he was also what? Able to perform. This is where you need to get to. To where, when you read scriptures, do you believe, are you fully persuaded that the one who has promised is also, does he have ability to prosper you? That's where the, that's where the crux of the matter is. Pastor, how come everyone in church is not prosperous if you preach this prosperity thing? Because everyone is not fully persuaded. And that's what I'm trying to do this morning. To get you to a place where you're fully persuaded that God, your Father, will look after you more than He looks after the grass of the field. He will look after you more than He takes care of the birds of the air. God will look after you because you are his most prized possession. If I can get you to think that way, I've done my job. If I can get you to know that God is mindful of you. If I can get you to 
catch the revelation that God is not only God, but that He is your Father and that He cares for you. How many of you are fathers in here? Just lift your hand. I want to see. How many of you are fathers? How many of you fathers would enjoy the sight of your children in worry? Your little girl just, just looking at her worrying. And like, yeah, she's learning about life. How many of you? So are we better than God? What makes you think God will look from heaven and say, Yeah, this challenge that I'm giving you, yeah, I do purify you. You won't find that. Amen? In fact, the Bible says, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more God, who is love, but you have to settle it in your heart. You have to be fully persuaded that God is my father. Not the prophet's father. Not the apostle's father. Not the bishop's. No, 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 no. My father. Me. Come on, stand on your feet. Thank you, Jesus. He's my father. If you are here and you have not received Christ as your personal savior, saying, hey, Pastor T., I want to connect to God who is my Father. Just lift your hand and we will pray with you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Going once. Going twice. And gone. We are all saved. Amen. We are all saved. Hallelujah. If you are here and you have been living a life of worry and anxiety, we want to pray with you before you go. Just lift your hand wherever you are. Thank you, Jesus. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand over there. God bless you. Keep them up. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. I see that hand at the back. No more worry. No more anxiety. The Bible says, don't worry. It says for you to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. The Bible says in Psalm 127, he gives to the beloved sweet sleep. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your peace. The peace that you give, not as the world gives it. Father, we thank you the, for the peace that is constant and consistent. That is based on your unconditional love for us. That is based on your unwavering love for us. Father, we thank you for these, your children. Father, right now we thank you for the peace of God which surpasses all understanding and we release it into their minds, into their hearts, and into their soulish realm. Right now we take a hold of their righteous soul and release the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Fear, I command you to go right now in the name of Jesus. For we know that scripture says you have not given us the spirit of fear. But you have given us the spirit of love, power, and a well-balanced, sound, unison mind. And so, Father, we release that mind. We release that shalom. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. We release it right now into their souls in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that we, your children, do not live a life of worry. We do not live a life of fear. 
Our minds are focused on you. Our minds are focused on your love. Father, we thank you that even when things don't seem to add up in the natural, you are there with us. Father, we thank you for your hand. We thank you that you are the God who rebukes the devourer. We thank you for your supernatural power that is over our lives to keep us safe, to make us prosper in our soulish realm. We will not worry. We will not be in fear. But Father, that we will trust in you, knowing that you, who have promised, you are also able to perform it. We will not stagger at the promises of God. But we are fully persuaded, fully persuaded, fully persuaded, fully persuaded that you will meet all our needs according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Fully persuaded that we are the righteousness of Christ and we do not live a life of guilt and condemnation. Fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. That you are with us and you will never leave us nor forsake us. Father, we thank you and we give you praise. In the mighty, matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Well, we love you. God bless you. And remember these words from 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you, Jesus.